0: Good morning, class, and for what it's worth, happy St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, 2019. This is our Proverbs class. Grateful that you've joined us. Before we start, uh, I've got a housekeeping item for you, and that is the the schedule as we look ahead. Um, Several of us on the session met this week with a phone conference, and we're going to be tweaking some of the content of the ATFs in about three weeks, and here's how it affects you. Today, we'll do suffering that's on your handout. Next week, we'll look at the problem of evil, sort of as a compendium to this teaching today. We'll conclude our study of Proverbs with singing, because Proverbs talks about the righteous sings and rejoices. So we're going to do a whole study on the biblical theology of singing. And then the following Sunday, some new classes will start. We'll do a little bit of shifting. I'll actually stay in this room, and I'll start teaching a class on marriage, developing a vision for a gospel-centered marriage. Technically, it's open to all of you. We'd love to see some of the younger couples in the church that are just starting out come to the class, catch a vision for what God wants them to experience for the rest of their lives. But it's never too late to start working on your marriage. Thankfully for Janice, I finally started working on ours last week. (laughs) And I want to teach you some of the things I'm learning. And if I, could, if I could name this class, and I really would name it this, it's Learn From My Mistakes. Learn From My Mistakes. So anyway, uh, on April 7th, and if you're not interested in this, there'll be a, a Bible study led in the Home Builders Room by some of our members. Rock's going to actually join me in this room. And so if you know of young couples you think could benefit from this, encourage them to come to the class. Starting April 7th, did I capture the spirit of our discussion?
1: Yeah. Thank you. Can you Uh That's just to be decided, but uh, there will be a class that will focus on the book of
0: the Bible, um, and then this class, and then uh, the third class being offered again. Yes. So you'll get details on this in the coming weeks. Okay? So I just want you to know what to expect for our class in the next several weeks. Good? Well, let's pray. Lord, this morning as we look at the biblical teaching on suffering, we pray you'd use the word of God to inform our thinking, to comfort our hearts, to give us grace upon grace, to embrace uh, who you are for us, what it means to live in a fallen world. And so where our thinking needs changing to the benefit of our lives, to the increase of our worship and trust, Change it by the power of the Holy Spirit using your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Suffering. First point, how Christianity puts suffering and trials in perspective. The first thing I want to call your attention to is our natural or innate disdain for suffering. Somebody read that little sentence there for us. God, I you for a plan. That I long for life under those conditions. Thank you, Lisa. Where am I annexing our natural disdain for suffering? What am I going back to? Garden. The Garden of Eden. What were you created for? And so I want to start here and, and, and affirm what we really instinctively know about ourselves. We don't like suffering. And that's because our souls were made for a suffering-less, pain-less, strife Less sin, less world. It was perfect. And that desire for that longing is still imprinted in our souls. And that's how you explain human beings' natural aversion to suffering. I was reading in my devotions over the weekend from Psalm 144, and you tell me why David writes this in Psalm 144 May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut. For the structure of a palace, may our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands, ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. No cry of distress in our streets. What is that echoing? The heart's desire for paradise. Sorry, but even (laughs) my devotions this morning in Psalm 147... Uh, the psalmist writes praise the Lord of Jerusalem praise your God O Zion he strengthens the bars of your gates he blesses your children within you how many parents don't want blessing for their kids of course we do he makes peace in your borders he fills you with the finest of wheat he sends out his command to the earth his run word runs swiftly see th- there's this echo of peace we don't want an outcry in the streets, this desire for, for a peaceful life. It comes uh, from our, our God making us for paradise. So, second thing to point out the utter brokenness of life in a fallen world. Somebody read this sentence for us. How
1: amazing that things work as well as they do, that we don't experience greater suffering.
0: Uh, Thank you, Lisa. So why is it there's not more suffering, more sin, more pain in this fallen world? God's mercy. God's mercy. Theologians call it common grace, not the saving grace you and I experience in salvation, but a grace God has as a good benevolent creator that he lets his benevolence rest upon this earth keeping it from being as bad as it could be and allowing it to work as good as it does given the fall. God sends his rain on the just and the unjust. He opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. Even his enemies enjoy the desire of certain human pleasures by common grace. Okay? And then thirdly, the followers of Jesus embrace a picture of suffering which helps them endure and not despair. Somebody read that little paragraph for us.
1: Let's admit, frankly, none of us really enjoy suffering. We recoil from the notion that God would ordain suffering for us. How could he? Isn't suffering bad? Trials easily tempt the
0: heart to bitterness. Why? Sure, raise those things. What did I do to deserve this? Do you know how much this hurts, God? Aren't those the kinds of questions that arise in our hearts when we're suffering? Yes? So what is it that, that, that resides naturally still in, in dwelling sin in our hearts that doesn't take too much provoking to get us to wonder these things? Anybody know what I'm looking for? that we have an innate distrust in the goodness of God. An innate distrust in his goodness. Ever since the fall, that has plagued the human heart. And so anything in our experience that calls into question, is God being good to me, tends to provoke that. So let me ask you this question. Why is it we suffer? What are some of the reasons we suffer? (laughs) At least, um, uh, Gail, (laughs) sorry, third try. I um, I really feel like it's because he
1: loves us more than that. He wants us to be like Christ. He wants us to learn the things that he wants to teach us in our suffering that are important for us to be the person who created us to be. To have the tools going forward in
0: our life that we're going to need. Okay. Excellent. Translated for our sanctification. He wants to make us like Christ. We love things that are not like Christ, namely, we love our sin. And God brings suffering in our, our lives to, great, to create in us a greater love for Christ and to form in us the character that is more Christ-like. Good. What's another reason we suffer? Yes, we. Sorry. Lisa. Yes, we are sinned against in a fallen world, without a doubt doesn't take too long living in a fallen world to realize I'm being sinned against. Likewise, we suffer because we, we sin. Sin can bring suffering. Our poor choices bring suffering into our lives. What's another reason we suffer? The effects of sin. Illness. You know, guiltless. We can't say that's always harmful. To right. The fault Something else It's part of the effects of sin. Exactly. We live in a fallen world. The moment you're born into a fallen world, you're born into a world that is tainted with sin, sickness, sorrow, hurricanes, you name it. We're, thank you, Allison. We're born into a fallen world. That's one of the reasons we suffer. It is inescapable. Until you die, you're going to suffer because you live in an environment which is fallen. Any other reasons why we suffer? For God's own
1: glory. He brings good out of the
0: suffering. Okay, God is glorified by bringing good out of suffering. Good. Ultimately, that's sort of the Sunday school answer to everything that happens, but it's a very good point to make. Another reason we suffer Have you ever done the right thing and paid the price for doing the right thing? Did Jesus talk about suffering for righteousness' sake? Yeah, we suffer sometimes because we do what's righteous. And lastly, if you identify with Jesus Christ, what is promised in the scripture? Suffering persecution for identifying with Jesus. So there's lots of different reasons we suffer. Okay? We have to watch this propensity in our hearts to doubt the goodness of God often doesn't take a whole lot. Next point, how we manage suffering reveals our starting point for assessing our sorrows. That means we all have some lens through which we're making sense out of our suffering. That lens is your starting point. If your lens is pride, and that is, I demand a better life than I have, then the only you're forgetting that the only thing you can demand from God is what? Justice. Justice. So that means in God's economy, you could ask technically for three things. You have two categories: justice and non-justice. You can ask God for justice, and there are two forms of non-justice. One is mercy. mercy. Not getting what you deserve. The other is something God will never be. Injustice. Injustice. Thank you, Frank. Injustice. There's only three options. If, if, you, if you're seeing things rightly, you'd ask God for justice. Remember we made... was it? I think we made that point in one of the last two weeks that Adam and Eve failed to come to grips with their sinfulness, and if they had, they would have said to God, you got to get us out of your presence because you're too holy and we're not. They failed to come to grips with that. Salvation is a matter of what? Mercy. Mercy, that God chooses some and not others, is not unjust. God will always be just. He'll never be unjust with anyone. With some, he chooses to show mercy. Okay? So if mercy is your starting point for viewing your suffering that's going to really change uh, the outcome of how you interpret it and what you do about it. So if you start with what do I deserve, justice, and you didn't receive it because of Christ, then, and you say, look, I've been rescued from hell. Anything else is gravy. Right? If you really start there, start every day, my goodness, I've been rescued from hell. That puts everything else in perspective. Okay, let's move on to B, unless there's any comments or questions. Okay, you know where in the Bible Paul reasons these three things out as regards election and salvation? What chapter? Romans 8. Romans 8, going into Romans 9. This is where Paul's working with these categories because he's objecting, he's anticipating the objection it's not fair that God judges me for sin that ultimately I'm committing because Adam fell, all this kind of stuff. And eventually Paul basically says, the question is off the table. Shut up and believe what God says. Kind of sort of, that's where Paul (laughs) goes. Kind of. (laughs) Who are you to answer back to God? Okay, B, the humble live in concert with what the Bible asserts about trials. Meaning, will, will we allow the Bible to interpret our trials for us, or will we be our own interpreter of the meaning of the trials? So here's what the Bible says about them. Number one, God ordains trials for our good to produce maturity and hope. Somebody read for us from James 1.
1: Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing.
0: Thank you, Janice. So, okay, yeah, Romans, but we'll, we'll, we'll do Romans in just a second. Let's just make sure we see what this verse is saying. You, you, you're in a trial. James is saying, What should your first response be? Joy. Joy. And then he basically equalizes joy in what? The testing of your faith. Counter all joy when you have trials because this this is the time to test your faith. And what is supposed to be the wonderful outcome of the testing of faith? Steadfastness. Steadfastness and? Is there any other outcome? Sanctification. Sanctification. Character, perfection, yes. So this is back to... I made somebody's point that God uses our trials, I think uh, Gales uses our trials to make us more like Christ. Look how Paul comes at it in Romans 5, who would read this one, top of the next page.
1: Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame... Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us.
0: Thank you, Mary. Same formula? Really, same formula. James says joy. Paul says rejoice in your sufferings. Why? They produce <laughs> endurance. Same, same this idea of James' steadfastness. What does endurance bring to pass? Character. You really don't know how strong the fortitude of your your resolve to live godly is until that's being tested or tried. The result of character is hope. The implication is we really can't live well in this world without hope. And somebody tell us what the biblical definition of hope is. It's not, I was hoping my team would win Saturday night, but it didn't i.e. there's a level of uncertainty in wishful thinking. Biblical hope is best translated with the words faith,
1: faith in Christ.
0: Confidence, certainty. Confidence, certainty. What should we be confident is certain. The hope of glory standing in the presence of Jesus forever glorified bodies being freed from sin and suffering in the new heavens and the new earth. That's the, that's the ultimate vision of our hope. And there's a sense in which I can't do life well here without a really clear sense of hope because I'll be trying to get in this life what can only be promised in the next. And that's one of the places we fall short in our humanity is using sex for that, and that's what the sermon's going to be about, trying to find through sexual pleasure what ultimately can only be experienced in the presence of God. Psalm 1611, in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand pleasures forever. What a God! What a God. That's our hope. And I I know in my heart, one of the things that that I I need more of is a more robust, clear, technicolor, certain hope that then fuels faithful living um, this side of glory. And think, what what about Paul's experience? What did Paul experience at one point? He popped his head into heaven. He saw it. This is why he has a thorn in the flesh keep me from boasting these visions I had. At one point in his life, Paul saw glory. It's speechless. Words cannot describe, no eye is seen, no ears here. And I think God gave that to Paul because he suffered so much for Christ. okay? But right with that clear vision of glory fueled his hope, he was able to endure everything. We now walk by faith and not by sight, and it is the scriptures, the Holy Spirit using the scriptures that God needs to um, cement that hope as a reality in our hearts. Actually, as an anchor. Hebrews is it 6 says that we have this hope as an anchor of the soul. And that hope is that is, is the presence of God in glory, and it's the o- only anchor that goes upward. All other anchors go down. <laughs> this is the anchor that goes up, and it anchors us. In Christ. We have that as an anchor of the soul. So without that anchor, your soul's going to be tossed and turned by whatever life's throws you. Yes, Juan? Is this verse a character directly producing hope? Or is... It's the thing God uses to, to get our eyes fixed on glory. <laughs> he will sometimes frustrate your pursuit. You know, I'm sorry, but this thing called the American Dream, what is that? That is finding your hope in this world. And I love my country, and it's it's a place where human beings can prosper, and we know these kind of stories right here, right? But the idea that now that I'm free to pursue unbridled materialism to make my life better, that's just patently unbiblical, isn't it? Don't we need to say that? Certain aspects of it, great, come here, because you're poor you're broken, find life here, find religious freedom here, which itself is shrinking away, but that's another story for another day. So the answer, Juan, is yes. God uses trials to shape and produce character. How we respond says everything about what's going on in our hearts and our need to have our hearts filled with the Spirit. I, I think the question was the I'm sorry. between character and oh. hope. Yeah, I, I don't understand. Weigh in. What am I missing? How character would produce hope? Character produces hope. Well, it's because coming out of finding God's ways better than my own gives me a greater desire for God. Anybody else want to weigh in? Character is
1: is the way in which you're approaching your life, and that comes out of. that produces hope continues greater and greater hope in God as your life reflects in more
0: good good I think that's excellent I think it's a back and forth so I think of 1 John 3 1 and 2 Um, beloved see what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God and this is what we are but what we are has not appeared yet but it will appear when Jesus comes and then the next thing John says is everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. So there's a wonderful inter- <laughs> interplay between hoping, certainly, certainty of seeing the Lord Jesus and that shaping our character and the shaping of our character desiring us more to be with Jesus. Right? Because the more you struggle with sin, it's more like, "Ah, oh, I want to be in a sinless place and that's to be with Jesus.
1: Could be partly how we uh, define the word character. Okay. And since uh, James says that uh, tribulation produces steadfastness, that when uh, Paul is talking about character,
0: he's thinking in terms of steadfastness, that steadfastness in the Lord produces hope in the Lord. Okay, and he does have the word endurance there, which is probably parallel to James's use of steadfastness. Paul says rejoice, endurance, character, hope. Good. Good. Yes, Catherine? One more thought is that
1: this verse is focused on what we see in ourselves, but we know it only comes about because of God. So yeah. when we endure, we know that God gives us strength to endure. Yeah. And then he is the one shaping our character, and then he gives us hope looking back that he was there doing all those things and the suffering and the hope comes because he grew us in the endurance and his character. Good point. And we, we see his faithfulness in our lives and we grow ever more uh, confident in yeah. his provision.
0: Yeah. Seeing his faithfulness in our lives we grow ever more confident in his provision, future and ultimate future, glory. Good comments, class. Good comments. Let's go to number...
1: You know, I just think the word hope is such a weak word in our English American culture that we struggle every time we read it because we interpret it as the world interprets it. So you kind of have to always redefine it every time you see the word. Confident expectation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, let's get you working with the English translators for the next five minutes. Yeah,
1: let's call it confident. (laughs) <laughs>
0: Number two, yet some suffering seems unbearable, taking us to the brink of our very lives. Somebody read the sentence and then the text from 2 Corinthians 1. the suffering seems
1: unbearable?
0: Yes. Well, uh, God purposes trials, however. Okay, God purposes trials, however,
1: Reliance upon His power, experience of His presence, hope in the resurrection, and visible answers to prayer. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him, He has set our hope that we will deliver us again. He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give.